For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are at Build-A-Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we've brought on the podcast are also Build-A-Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops, you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Build-A-Trend account. We are just a few months away from the Contractors Coalition Summit here in Scottsdale, Arizona. It'll begin on Sunday, May 7th and complete on Wednesday, May 10th. We had two events that were completely sold out last year. The first one in Nashville, second one in Huntington Beach with Nick Schiffer from NS Builders and Morgan Molitor from Construction of Style. Again, make sure that you get out to Scottsdale. It's going to be an amazing event. We only have a few seats left and we're going to be speaking about all things pricing, project management, how to make money inside and outside of your business, you know, contracts, client expectations, building that organization. And again, just the marketing aspect, social media. One of the most amazing values of this conference is not only the content that's produced and a lot of the information that's handed out to those that attend, but also the networking, being there with 30 like-minded builders around the country, being able to have a, someone to contact and reach out to on any questions you have moving forward. It is an amazing event. Hurry and sign up again, www.contractorscoalitionsummit.com. We'll see you in May. If you trust us, you will get there. And the, the, the work that we've had the most published, um, the most applauded, the most awarded is the work where the clients truly trusted us and trusted us throughout the process. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. And today we have Sarah Malik Barney with us. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, how are you? Yeah, good to have you on. And Sarah is a founder and principal designer at Band Design. And so maybe we start here. I have to ask you, you have two Ds in Band Design. So what's the uh, thought behind that? Well, I'm just difficult like that. But um, <laughs> no, you know, the funny story about the name is um, when I started my company almost six years ago now, I was, I didn't want to go through like a whole brand exercise. I don't do well with like, we got to workshop this to death. And, um, I have two daughters and I kind of wanted to pay homage to them in some way. And I didn't want to name it after myself. Um, cause I always felt like the design was about the clients and, um, the experience and not just about me. So, um, my daughter's names are Blake and Decker, which is B and D. And when I first thought of the name B and D design, I thought that's a really, that, that name doesn't really go for me. I don't really like that. But let me just type it into a web address to see if I like it. And when I typed it into a web address, it uh, or to see if it's available, and when I typed it into the web address, it looked like band design. And I thought, oh, well, that works. And that was truly the end of the story. <laughs> That's amazing. So, I mean, it's funny to hear the little background. So, essentially, it has to do with the two daughters you have. You know, there's a yeah. B&D in there. and yeah. um, Plus, it sets you apart, right? It's a little catchy. I mean, when I saw it, um, 
I was like, yeah, that is different. You know, it definitely catches your eye for sure. Yeah, there was something about it. I was like, okay, fine. Our social media will be join the band. And, and it's simple. <laughs> and that's what it is to this day and never changed. And it just, I don't know. I might be crazy for doing it that way, but that's just what I did. See, but you need a good tagline. So for you, join the band, right? So it kind mm -hmm. of flows as you're, you know, recruiting clients and team members and yeah. so forth. Well, yeah, and we, I, I, I'm very careful not to make it themey. So you're not going to see on our website that it's like I'm the lead singer or something, you know, super cheesy like that. But it's, you know, like we call our group text at work is the bandmates. And when we have interns, they're called band-aids, you know, but we don't, <laughs> we don't really lean into it a lot, but it, we do a light touch of it. <laughs> well, it's funny because ours is, you know, we go by a lot of people know us as AFT, right? That's pretty mm -hmm. much like all my social media handles, but the formal name is a finer touch construction, which a touch about the competition. That's kind of been our tagline. And it's funny how you have those little things that just kind of carry on. So totally. Um, well, that's awesome. So let me ask you this, you know, um, as, as we dive into this, you know, I know just prepping for the episode to have you on and, and you had spoken about, you know, one of your most favorite things that designers install day. And, um, it can be quite chaotic. I can tell you from a builder side, I would, I would say in years past, probably early in your career, you know, it'd, it'd be pretty seamless with the builder. And I'm sure now, uh, maybe not so seamless with <laughs> supply chain and, you know, the, the trying to get an appliance in possibly when you're trying to install. So, um, you know, speak to maybe the, uh, the most challenging aspect of install day for you? Well, that's it, it exactly. Um, with install day, I do, uh, I, I used to really love install day because it gave the clients this sort of quote unquote HGTV moment that doesn't really exist, but it got as close to it as we could get where they could have that big grand reveal. But, you know, after COVID, supply chain, everything else, we no longer can do a single install day. And now it's, I mean, we could, but, you know, we're paying for storage fees for longer. We're just, things are just taking longer. So now we have to do two to three install days. And so that's a little bit challenging. I never, I'm not big on like, uh, I'm not really precious about the art of design where I'm like, it has to be finished before the client can see it. But I will say showing that, showing it to them in phases, it, it sort of um, waters down a little bit of the impact. And um, sometimes we'll drop off, you know, around the furniture if we haven't finished out everything. And They'll look at it and they'll be like, well, I don't know, you know, because they can't see the full vision. So then they start to second guess everything. And, and that opens up, you know, Pandora's box of problems. So um, so that has been, for me, the most challenging part of install day in the last two to three years. Yeah, because I think what's common for you, I know for us, um, it could be anything, right? I mean, we could be waiting. I, I had a project that we were waiting on the shower doors, you know, in the primary bathroom. We're waiting on... Um, the range. So we had, uh, we, we called it our little easy bake oven. It was like this little, <laughs> uh, you know, apartment style range. So they had something, but you know, as opposed to, you know, the 48 inch wolf range. Um, and again, nothing against wolf. I mean, it's just, you know, there's, there's lead times. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so for you, what's really difficult as you, as I can imagine is, you know, furniture is very complex. You're working with a lot of vendors. It's not like you're buying from one location. Uh, you know, now how has that affected just, managing, you know, handling and storage and, you know, with all these different vendors coming in at different times. I mean, you have to order so much earlier. So stuff's coming in early, stuff's coming in late. I would imagine there's just, it's totally changed your operation inside the company. Yeah. And I'd be lying to say that, you know, we don't have more delays than 
we did before. And in projects, like I said, take longer. We used to tell clients on average, a project would take, say, six months, depending on what we were doing, of course. And now it's an average of a year. And so they got to really like us and want to be around us because we're going to be in their life for at least a year. And, um, and so, yeah, there's a, there is a lot of that. And there's a lot of management of, you know, we also, and I'm sure you experienced this as well, a lot of damages, a mm-hmm. lot of things that come broken, even with appliances. It's like a tiny little ding. Well, now we got to get a new door for this fridge. And it's, you know, and so there's constant follow-up, constant figuring out what the problem is, um, which we don't necessarily account for in our hours. And so that that costs us time and money for sure. Um, but it has been, that has been a beast is um, all these damages or, you know, we had a bed that showed up for a client the other day that didn't come with the bed slats. And it's like, all right, no big deal. Well, to get the bed slats from the vendor, we now have to get a whole new bed because it all comes together. And now they also don't want that other bed back. Well, what are we going to do with this bed? Now we got to pay for it to sit in storage or we have to sell it. Like it just, it's just layer upon layer upon layer. Nothing's easy anymore. (laughs) Isn't it crazy how complicated it is? And what's funny you bring that up is Every designer that I've spoken to, I mean, maybe in the past you could speak to your site, but most of the designers like, you know, maybe, you know, a couple items, maybe 5% of the product had issues possibly. Now it's like 30%. Like I would say 50. Yeah, 50. So, I mean, you're talking about like from your side, you know, how are you, I can only imagine when you're doing a custom home or remodel, there's a lot of pieces coming in. So from unboxing and receiving to checking, because you can't just take things that are boxed up and put it into storage and say, okay, it's time for install day. I mean, you have to check this stuff on box. I mean, there's just a massive amount of time from your side to check this. Yeah. The one thing that we've recently implemented because we do have a receiving house and they unbox and check everything for us. The problem is they don't know, you know, if something's blue instead of Navy or something like that, they're not going to know, notice that they're, they're not going to pick up on that. And the little iPhone photo they're sending us isn't going to be enough. So now um, we now do monthly QC checks at our receiving house where we go through, we ask them to pull everything they have in storage for us and we quality control everything, check everything because the issue we had been running into is we would wait till we get on site for the install and be like, no, 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 that's wrong. How did we miss that? So now it's past the window to return. It's past the window of install. And now we're going to have to add a second install. It was just, it just costs, money and time and frustrations for everyone. So um, it's definitely helped adding in that additional uh, quality check. Outside of furniture, when you're working with contractors, typically what do you like to provide as a designer? You know, are you getting involved from the cabinet hardware, window coverings, you know, lighting? I mean, to what extent are you comfortable, you know, with that relationship? Uh, you know, I, I would love to provide everything if we can. So, and every um, contractor we work with is a little bit different. And I'm, I'm flexible in the sense to understand that one, I know every project's unique and every client's different. So I'm, I'm aware of that. However, um, I do have a certain way I like to work, but if a contractor has a way they like to work, they're going to be the ones getting it done at the end of the day, the manual labor. So I don't want to impede their process because I need, you know, tile specifications done a certain way. I don't actually care. It's however they want it, but I do like to provide as much detail as possible. We do pretty detailed elevation drawings. Um, we provide tile lays, paint schedules, 
um, just as much detail as we can provide and they'll allow us to provide too. And it's kind of the same goes with purchasing. I know every builder and contractor likes to work a little bit differently and things they want to purchase, things they want us to purchase. So we usually have a conversation up front about that um, and who's going to do what. I was going to ask that because communication is always, you know, they, it can be tough with, a, you know, architect, designer, builders, you're trying to work through that team. How often are you involved in the beginning? And, you know, how do you manage just that communication with the builder, which sounds like you work with a wide variety of them. So, you know, each one could be a little unique. <laughs> I'm always looking for that magician to keep in my hat um, or what rabbit to keep in my hat. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm big on communication. Uh, my team probably gets tired of hearing me say this, but I'm a huge communication nerd. And I think that every problem or issue in the world that's ever happened is from lack of or poor communication. So I, sometimes I probably communicate too, um, too much, but it's better than not enough, in my opinion. And we have some um, contractors that like to work on platforms, they're, I guess, a little bit more tech savvy and they'll use things like Builder Trend or, um, you know, Asana or some other, you know, project management tool. And they probably hate me because I'm not willing to learn those things. I just say, <laughs> I'll just email you and that works. Thank you. Um, but I think because our clients do the same thing with our project management software, they don't they completely ignore our requests through it. They just email us and say, thank you. I'm not learning a new platform. Goodbye. <laughs> so um, I kind of do the same with our builders, and most of them understand that. Um, but I'm big on the communication piece of it. I don't love it when they take creative liberties on their own unless I super <laughs> trust them. Um, but I think, yeah, it's just a matter of communicating. I don't, I can't speak for the rest of my team, but I have a rule where I don't give people my cell phone number. So um, they do not text me unless it's like dire emergency. And, and in my experience, I've learned there's no such thing as a design emergency. So I, um, I do most things via email and that way I can track it too, because it's almost impossible to track um, text messages and, you know, to remember who said what, but um, so email has been sort of my diehard, probably why I hate my inbox. <laughs> it's completely impossible to track text messages on the same. I mean, at least emails, you can go back, you know, there's a rhyme and reason how you file it. And so much more organization. What's interesting is you made the comment that they don't have your cell phone. And so I would imagine that organizationally you're in a position where, yeah, I mean, you made the comment that there's probably no design emergency realistically. Um, but when there's questions for the contracting team or your design team, I'd imagine that there is a protocol of who they connect with you know, to get those answers, to keep that project moving. Yes. And internally we have, I'm the principal, so I oversee the kind of the big vision of the design, but um, each project is assigned to a lead designer who also acts as the project manager. So they are the day-to-day -day contact. So I joke that I don't give my, my cell phone number and I tell them, you don't have to, I'm not making you, that's your call, but don't complain to me if they're texting you at 10 PM at night, asking you which way the tile goes, even though you gave them the tile lays. So um, that's at their discretion. They usually do end up engaging via text with the builders. But here's what I will tell you. You know, we've run into a situation recently um, where the, the builder is sort of finger pointing at us and we're like, no, 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 look, we have. This. And so we're having to dig back through text messages um, to resolve a problem. And that's, like I said, it's a little bit, it's not impossible, but it's a little bit trickier than pulling up an email and saying, no, here's, here's what really went down. Well, I would imagine, you know, uh, uh, many times when I interview designers, right, and work with, you know, I work with interior designers on every project. And um, 
some of their experiences with builders can vary. <laughs> I mean, to say the least, right? <laughs> Depending on- To say on, the on, very on, least. Yeah. Um, to say it kindly, right? I mean, a lot of builders mm -hmm. aren't probably the most uh, design savvy, right? As they communicate with their designers. Um, what's interesting is early in my career, uh, I think I was just out of college. I mean, this is, you know, 15, 16 years ago. And uh, actually, it's longer than 18 years ago. But anyways, I, I was working with a designer, a very pronounced designer here in the Scottsdale area. And she was big. She just said, look, Brad, here's what I expect. You know, I, you know, I don't, my design book's really good. You can deviate. Call me if there's a question. Don't make any interpretation. Don't change things. And you know, she, uh, there's a lot of great things she taught me in my career, which has definitely helped, you know, training internally. Um, how do you handle when a builder does go rogue, if you will, <laughs> and starts, you know, you have this amazing design, Sarah, you and your team, and they've made some changes. And now you show up and you're like, hold on, why did you call me? This is not what we had talked about or designed. You know, that part's really tough from your position. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, oh God, I shouldn't even say this out loud because I don't want to jinx myself. It doesn't happen often anymore. Um, what I don't respond well to is hair on fire. I need an answer to this right this second because the right. framers here. I, it's like no, 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 no. You don't, you don't do that with any other profession. You don't just call me and be like, I need this right this second. Chop, chop. That's what I don't respond well to. Um, now, when it comes to creative liberties, I if it's not that big of a change or that big of a deal. Sometimes it'd be like, no, it's fine. All right. You did it this way. Fine. You know, but um, there are situations where they have to change it. And I say, okay, that's fine. There's just no change order. You have to change it. It's at your cost. And um, we had a situation like that. Um, and this might offend you or might not, but I'm hardcore, no Schluter in any of my projects. It's my number <laughs> one design rule. I, there's something about it. I have a huge bee in my bonnet and I will not allow it. And I walked into one of our projects once and they had taken the creative liberties to put Schluter up. And I said, you're going to have to rip out all that tile because there is no way I can sleep tonight with that Schluter in this bathroom. So, um, and they did, but it's, um, there are very few things that I'm like, okay, we can't work around this unless it's something major or something that's very <laughs> personal to my opinion, uh, like Schluter, which is actually not that big of a deal, but um, the, most things we can work around. So it doesn't happen often where it's like, <laughs> absolutely not. This has to change. Well, I, I, I do love that example because truth be told, um, again, going back when I was you know, checking out your website. That was one of the comments. I think you had an interview. And you said, it's no, in my so. bio. It's yeah. in your bio. And yeah. I actually laughed because I thought that was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I can, I can relate that we've definitely had some clients uh, or designers that, you know, are very similar, but I think the valuable aspect of that, right. Is there's, there is a creative aspect to what you're doing, Sarah, and it is more complicated. Than I think that most people realize, you know, doing interior design and there's a lot of elements to it. And this is why I always tell my clients, I'm not going to do the project unless you have a designer, because, I already know there's so many little details in this build, no matter the size of the home. And I, th there's so many things that get overlooked, miscommunicated, that'll end up costing me time and money, it'll cost the client time. You know, and our designers really help putting this together. And what's interesting is, you know, a lot of the designers, to your point, whether it be Schluter or they say, hey, Brad, I can't see the edge of a tile or stone. There has to be a termination point, right? There's these little design details that really, you know, create um, these very inspiring designs and retreats for our clients. And so it's super valuable, you know, communicating that. Do you ever have clients that come to you and say, you know what, Sarah, I know what I like, 
you know, I only need you for a little bit because I, you know, I already know what I'm going to do. I, I would imagine you're getting that conversation a lot from your side as well. Oh, for sure. And I think I want to applaud you for saying that you will only work, are you like you recommend working with a designer because I actually think that that is not super common. Um, I mean, I'm assuming you're probably also not the cheapest because of it, but <laughs> at the same time, it's like you get what you pay for. And um, a lot of times they don't understand the value add that we're bringing in. And so for a builder or an architect or whoever that we would be working alongside to um, really push our services, it, it goes a long way because I do think, yes, we get a lot of um, Debbie designers who are just, um, I can I can figure out home goods so I could totally figure out, you know, where I should put this tile and the way it should run. I have a pretty good eye. Um, to me, that's pretty insulting, but it does happen a lot. And um, it does happen where they'll call and say, I know what I like. I know what I want. I just don't have the time to do it. So I want you to do it. And it's like, well, eh, no, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we do get that a lot. Um, I do want clients involved. I do want, it is a collaborative process. And I do want, the, I want it to feel like their home at the end of the day. I don't want it to feel like a catalog or a show house. I want their family and friends to know that they live there. So there does need to be an element of their personality, but I do want them to get out of our way and trust us when it comes to things like that. Like you're saying termination points for tile, like no, nobody's thinking about that. And so we actually can bring that skill set to the table. And, and like you said, kind of uncover those details that they could otherwise go missed. Yeah. To that point, what's funny is, um, so, so this has been just like a standard operating procedure for us. I mean, Sarah, I mean, it really is that, that, and I've had clients come to me and they're, you know, they've asked, Hey Brad, we want AFT to build our home, but we know what we like. And I'm like, if you don't have a designer, I'm out. Like you need to go to another yeah. contractor. You're not working with us. Um, and actually my team, if I ever come up with a project and there's no designer, they go freak out mode, you know? Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And so it's not just like a me thing. I mean, this is culturally throughout my whole, I mean, there's 17 employees in there. Even if we have a designer that maybe, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, maybe the, they don't have as a sophisticated design book or CAD work or stuff. And it really puts a lot of strain on our team. And, you know, what I've seen is I still, I, you know, I work with a lot of contractors and talk to them and I, I'm always amazed by any builder that's willing to do a project without a designer on board. I just don't know how it's possible to track that, just the details and the complication. And um, I've, I've just seen personally that relationship with the clients better, you know, build time for me is way better. You know, I can start projects with all my selections. It doesn't mean that the client doesn't make a hundred changes. I mean, that's going to happen with the designer, but you know, we at least have a template. We have a starting point. We have all the selections. We have good pricing and it just helps us control costs, timing, quality, right? Uh, communication with our subs. And so I found that just as a business owner, which you and I are, right? It just makes our business a lot more feasible when you have that team put together. I totally agree. And I mean, it kind of goes the same way with a, with a contractor and a builder. It's um, the ones who don't usually work with designers, you know, and um, when our clients ask us to find another bid and, you know, find somebody cheaper, it's like, we'll do it, but we're always shooting ourselves in the foot and it costs us more time and money and the clients are delayed and they guess who they're mad at. They're mad at us. Right. And even though we had nothing to do with this, you know, ding dong contractor that walked off the job. <laughs> so 
Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. We end up being the fall guy quite a bit because we, you know, we end up being the quarterback of the project because we are running point between the client, the builder, the architect. And but I do love. I, I get weary when an architect comes on board or a builder comes on board and they have a design team in house. And I don't say because they shouldn't, but more because I do like a diverse group of people looking at a project because we're all going to come at it from a different viewpoint and, and recognize different parts of that project that maybe need tweaking or additions or revisions that maybe could get missed if it's all under one umbrella. What, what does business development look like to you in the sense um, are clients coming to your design firm first? Are you being brought in by the contractor or architect? Is it kind of a variation? Yeah, so very actually very rarely are we brought in by the builder. Um, it usually either comes, they've come to us and they've already engaged with a builder or um, they're coming to us with ideas or plans and then we go out and, and bring in the builder um, or an architect is bringing us in. You, I would love, in a perfect world, we are all engaged at the very beginning from the very start and we're all in it together for whatever reason, a lot of times we are either an afterthought or we're the only thought. And uh, when we're the afterthought, we have to come in and be like, sorry, you already did these cabinet plans. I think that they're wrong. So um, we have to come in and make edits. And that's when the builder and architect hate us because we've come in and made edits. So um, yeah, I would love it if more builders brought us in, but usually, like I said, I don't, I think it's rare that you, you guys are like, no, you have to bring in an, an interior designer. Um, seriously, I think whenever we come in, they're like, oh God, here we go. This person's <laughs> going to want to make changes and want to do it more difficult. And she's not going to want Schluter. So it's going to be more in the tile of labor, you know? So yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think that they get irritated to see us more often than not. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because I think it's perspective, right? Um, you know, we have a lot of builders, architects, designers listen to the podcast and, um, I mean, they've, I'm sure tired of me saying this, but what's interesting is I've, I've heard a lot of builders specifically, and even designers at that point say, you know, I've, it's, it's interesting to hear that there are people or other collaborators, right. From the design aspect and builder aspect that are actually striving to have that team from the very beginning. And I tell them, well, if you are working with, um, a designer, an architect that's not collaborative from the very beginning, then you're working with the wrong people, right? Um, and and what I've seen here in Phoenix is that there are a lot of architects that let's say they get the lead first from the client. They won't even get past design schematics. So they may have ventured down to figure out a floor plan, but they will never go past floor plan or into structurals or engineering or consulting until they have a builder and designer on board. And they're like, hey, we just have to have the team together because that's we need the designer to give their input on the architectural design because, you know, there's stuff we're going to miss and not see and not catch the vision on. The builder's going to have, you know, their opinion just on structurally and cost because, look, the reality is there's always a cost issue. So understanding how the builder's, you know, going to want to build this. And, um, and and I think that's important. It's just understanding you have to find people with the same mindset, right, that believe in that and, and see the value really is what it comes down because there's mm -hmm. so much value that the design team offers that just, you know, for us, that heavy lifting is pre-con, get Sarah and her mm -hmm. team from the very beginning. Once permits issued, then it's very easy lifting throughout the build because now we can follow their design book. We have the information and we just go build. Yeah, I think that's super rare. <laughs> I mean, I've, been, I've had a lot of experience where the architect does not want us there. 
and and is irritated that we are there. So it's not, and I'm saying that it's not like uh, half joking. I mean, it's not like a through line. There are so many great architects we've worked with and so many great builders we've worked with. Um, but it, it, it's like you're saying is understanding we each have a role. And so each one of us plays a part in this picture and each one of us has an important part in this. So it's not like I'm here to make your life more difficult. It might be more work for you, but it doesn't mean that I don't want the same end result. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this when maybe going back to, you know, your company, um, just thinking about organizationally, you know, when did you know it was time to make your first hire? Oh gosh. Uh, pretty early on. I don't do well. Like uh, there was, I, I actually know the exact moment. So I started my firm and about a month into it, I was overwhelmed with the amount of work I had to do, which was great. But, um, I ended up landing a very big project. Um, and it was for a family of like nine, like some huge family. And it was a new build. And I was, I was, you know, deer in headlights. And I thought, how the hell am I going to do this? And so the very first person I brought in was a project manager who could manage all the orders and um, tracking of the project and sort of just all the details so that I could design it and sort of pass it on to her um, because I knew I wasn't ready to bring in design help yet. Um, so it, it was pretty it was pretty organic. So the first couple of people I hired were people to just help me on the back end so I could keep designing and keep bringing in more business. Um, and then shortly after that, it was like, okay, I'm ready to pass off some of the design work because I was heavily involved in the business development side of things and couldn't do both. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. So a lot of business owners kind of struggle with that. There's kind of that tipping point, right? As you're growing your business, when's the right time to hire? Is it too early? Do I have the cash flow? Did you ever have any reservation just on, okay, you know, once I hire someone now, I'm responsible for them. I got to keep that, you know, workflow going. Um, did you have any drawback, you know, making that hire? No, because um, we were in a good spot cash wise. I knew I was burning the candle at every end. So I didn't have another hour to give. It wasn't like I, you know, was like, well, I, I want to do this so I can take a vacation. I mean, I was burning it hard. And so I knew if I wanted the business to grow, I had to bring in help. And 
um, when it comes to hiring in general, it's like, what are the tasks that you're not the best at that you could pass off to someone else and the product would still be the same? And that's sort of where I got to finding the project manager piece of it versus doing some other sort of role early on. Um, and, you know, there's that saying, you got to spend money to make money. And that's the same in business. It's not free to do business. There's costs associated with everything. So I kind of knew that. And when I first started the business too, I, I didn't know. I, it was a second career for me. So I was like, what is this that is taking off all of a sudden? It was sort of a shock. And I gave it a, I was like, I'll give it a year. And if it's worth a damn, then we'll stay in it. And if it's not, then I'll move on. And I could just go back to my, my standard life that I was living, you know? So, um, and it worked out. <laughs> That's amazing. And, and what does that look like now company-wise, you know, employee size and, you know, how, you know, how's the company grown? Oh my gosh. Well, so we've been, it's, we're about to have our six year anniversary and we have been a snowball down a hill since day one. And for the first time ever, that hill is sort of flattening, which is, is, you know, could be scary to a lot of business owners, but for me, it's, it's like, thank God we needed a little bit of a breath. Um, so we've grown pretty tremendously in the last six years. We've done over 150 projects. Um, right now our team, it varies in size given on our project load and kind of marketplace, but we're anywhere from seven to 10 folks, uh, full-time people on staff. Um, and we're pretty diverse in the sense that, like I said, we have a robust design team where we have lead designers who act as project managers and under them, they have, um, design assistants who assist them. And then we've also got some support staff like office admin. Um, we have somebody who runs all of our marketing and social media, somebody who does all of our business development and operations and all that good stuff. So um, we've got a, we've, we've got a great team, but it's been, it's been a crazy amount of growth in, in a very quick time. Well, if I understand correctly too, I mean, design, um, you know, wasn't your long-term career path. I mean, you had a prior career leading no. up to this. No. Yeah, no, I have, I come from a, an entertainment and sports industry background. I worked in entertainment and sports for 15 years and I loved working in it, but I sort of got burnt out and I never thought design was a job. I thought it was something, you know, which old <laughs> ladies did and like looking at sofas and drapes. I, and I had always, interior design as a whole always felt like a very unattainable um, service. And it was kind of like this thing out in the ether that wasn't a real thing. And I don't know, it was, I don't mean to be cute about it, but it's truly like a light bulb. Like, what if I went back to school for design? Um, and I said earlier, I had two young girls. And so I was at a point where I really wanted to show them they could make a name for themselves and do whatever they wanted to do. So I thought, well, why not start my own business? Because I've got nothing else to do with my time. <laughs> and, uh, and at the time, they were so young, too. They were like three and five. So to think about having a three and a five-year-old working a full-time job and starting a business, I must have been like drunk the entire time. I really don't even know how I like managed through it, but I did. Um, so yeah, it, it, I didn't think it would be a thing, but then when it became a thing and um, it was, I thought, oh my gosh, this is what I've been meant to do my whole life. But I didn't, I couldn't have taken a different path to get here. It would not have been the same result. So um, it was super important that I had that, that past journey. And I actually think it led to a lot of, the success um, of our business because I did come from a business background anyway. So, well, I think what's, I, I do want to touch on the business background because I think that's a really key part to you being so successful as a, as a designer. But, you know, when, when I speak to people and they're like, Hey, you know, it's hard to change careers, you know, they may be, um, 
you know, in their thirties or even forties. And you think about it. I mean, most of us are working until, you know, sixties is pretty common. I'm like, why not make a career change? You just have 30 years of your career, right? It's pretty easy. Yep. To do. I mean, did you ever have any reservation? Of course you mentioned that I didn't realize I could have such a successful career, right? In interior design. Um, yeah. You know, starting, starting a new thing at this point in life. I mean, especially after you've been successful, cause I think you're on the, the producing Ellen DeGeneres show or something. I mean, back in the day. Uh, yeah, I worked in TV production and then I was a talent agent for a long time. And then I worked um, for South by Southwest for many years overseeing all of their entertainment and sports partnerships. So working with movie studios and TV networks and, you know, brands like Nike and Gatorade and those sorts of things. That was fun. And it was sexy and alluring. And, you know, there's all the cool stuff that goes with it. Um, you know, my parents were so married to their jobs as growing up and they would come home and just complain and moan and groan about their jobs. And I always thought like, why would I work a job where I would come home and complain and moan? Why would I not do something that really interests me? And so from a very young age, that was, that was super important to me. And I, I always said I would never stay in a job that was so stressful and painful that, um, I don't, that I would stay in it even just because of the money. Um, and I was making really good money, but I, and I had a mortgage to pay and I had kids to feed and it was scary. And, um, that was the biggest piece of it. I'll never forget. I was driving early on and starting the firm and I was listening to a design podcast. And one of the women said, you know, the IRS reports, the average salary for an interior designer is $50,000 a year. And I almost like ran into the car next to me, like throwing up, you know, because I thought, oh my God, I've made this huge mistake to go from this lucrative sales job. And like, I can't take care of my family on $50,000 a year. I've lost my damn mind. (laughs) And so very early on, I was like, I've got to do this differently than how others have done it. And I'm not saying that I'm some sort of revolutionary pioneer um, in how I set up my business, but I definitely set it up in a way that I haven't I had, hadn't really heard of or experienced, but it worked for us and it, it allowed us to uh, grow really quickly. And I think because I did have that business training, it helped quite considerably because I do talk to a lot of people who don't have that and they come straight out of design school and in design school, they do, don't make you take business classes. They don't really teach you much on residential design. They set you up to just go work at a big firm and just you know move on with your life. And so I, I already had that leg to stand on. So I think that helped really tremendously in, in our growth. Well, it's interesting you've taken that, I don't want to say stance, but really that mentality of, you know, I'm a business owner, I understand business. And, you know, I happen to focus on interior design, but, you know, how, how did that business background play a role, especially early on? I mean, it sounds like you definitely understood the value of hiring somebody right early on. And especially if they could take things off your plate that you can now be the visionary and focus on the business. Uh, not anyone has that understanding, right? when they're starting their company. So what do you attribute, especially as you're trying to not getting into financials, but as you're breaking down, you know, uh, job costing and furniture and how, how you bill for your time and how do you value your time? Right. It sounds like you actually had a good understanding of that, you know, before starting your design business. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Exactly. That's the biggest piece of it is even though I was a brand new baby designer, my time wasn't worth zero dollars. Um, and I felt, and I've always charged what I thought my time was worth, regardless of experience in this, in the industry. Um, and it, cause if I left my job or I left design and went back to a sales job, I know what my time would be worth hourly. So I'm going to charge that. I might go a little bit less because it, you know, I'm not as experienced early on, but 
it's it my time is my time and you know kind of going back to the whole communication piece of it i'm the same way about time i'm a total time nerd time is our only finite asset it's the only thing we cannot find more of so if i show up and i'm i'm putting in my time i better damn well want to do it because i'm not going to do something that wastes my time and i'm very very big on time management both from my team for myself um just in general because it is like I said, it's the only thing we can't get more of. So I'm very, very aware of where my time goes and I'm, and I'm okay billing as such. So maybe there's two parts of this. Cause as you think about it, I think what's really difficult, you're managing job leads, right? You have inquiries, you have people that you have to vet, you know, I do the same thing and I don't know how it was for you early on. And for me, I'd get an inquiry and I'm like, all right, someone's calling me, you know, like, let's go meet them without really thinking about, okay, do they have the budget? Do they have the time frame? Can you know, so I'm, I'm spending time driving to their location, spending time without even getting down the road, vetting them. And I'm just being open here. Of course, early in my career, that's how it was, right? Because you're yeah. trying to build your business. How did you, you know, early on and maybe how has that changed now, vetting the customer to make sure this is a legitimate lead that I can spend some time, you know, developing and then at some point engaging right fees as we get into the, the service? Yeah, that's a great question because you're right. At the beginning, it was like, sure, I'll come. Sure, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you didn't know what you didn't know, right? Like you didn't know what questions to ask. You didn't know what things are going to cost. You you really didn't have a sense of what to expect and anticipate. And now, and I don't want to dumb down what it is that we do, but like I've seen every house. You know, like there's every now and then there'll be one that's a little bit wonky and a little bit out there and I can't understand the floor plan. I don't even meet clients anymore in advance, you know, and in fact, nine times out of 10, I don't even talk to them before they've signed on. It's my business development person who is, but that's because of our experience at this point. We know the questions to ask. We know, you know, okay, I know it's roughly going to take this number of hours. I know to account for, you know, this probably will change. This will probably be added. This will probably be removed. There's a lot of things that are like pretty, pretty sure bets that we can anticipate. And I can look at a video or photos of a home if we're remodeling it or furnishing it or whatever it might be. And I can give you an estimate based off of that. I don't need to come walk it with you for an hour and a half. Um, and to be honest, for the longest time, we would do consults where we would go and do that. And sometimes we would charge and sometimes we wouldn't. And every single time the client didn't enjoy the process. And I don't think it's because we weren't fun to be around. I think it's because they didn't understand the value of what we were doing. They would come, we would come into their house and say, oh, thank you for walking us through. I think you should add a bookshelf here and a thing there. And she's like, yeah, I already thought of that. Or, you know, we've already lived here. We know this house better than you do. And all you did was validate our opinions. What good was that? Like my friend could have come over and done that. So I'm also not a good reactionary designer. I'm not somebody who's going to come in and say like, do this, do this, do this. I could do that, but I could also go home and think of 10 other ways to do it and a way that's better. So you, you would rather me not come and look at it and tell you what to do. You'd rather me just see pictures, give you a design proposal and let me ruminate on it and really come, come to the table with my best versus just spitballing. So how do you sell that value to the client? Because I know, especially now, there is a brand, right? You have a reputation. You've done 150 projects in six years. So you have this incredible credibility. Um, so maybe this is early on. How are you selling that value? Because you value your time, you know, just you as a firm. Yeah, I mean, um, it's kind of the whole, I don't know if it's the fake it till you make it thing, but it's <laughs> sort of like, 
if you sound confident in what you're saying, people will believe you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have politicians who are proof of that. So um, if you just, it, it's not like you're just selling them a bill of goods. I'm not, you know, I'm not some sort of shark that's lying to them. But at the same time, if I believe in it, or if I, if I feel strongly about it, then they'll, they'll feel comfortable in that. And if they trust us, that's the biggest piece of it. You know, we have clients that call us and they'll say, I saw this project you did in this magazine and I really want to do, you know, some sort of experience like this. And one, I say, well, we're not going to copy our work again. But the, the second thing I will tell them is if you trust us, you will get there. And the, the, the work that we have had the most published, um, the most applauded, the most awarded is the work where the client's truly trusted us and trusted us throughout the process. And they let us do our thing. They had input, they had say, their their um, opinions and, they, and the things that they wanted were definitely accounted for, but then they got out of our way and let us do our job. And that is the work that you see all over the place when you look at our work. That's the work that gets shared over and over again on Pinterest that gets published in magazines. It's not the ones where they were up our butt the entire time yelling at us about every little detail and not trusting the process. It's interesting you say that. And and early on here in the comment, when you were answering that question, you had mentioned that, you know, there's a confidence and it's not that you're selling some bill of goods. I mean, this isn't a snake oil thing. I mean, you're going to perform, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but the fact of the matter is uh, there is a lot of validity to the comment of being confident. And, you know, most business owners may not understand that they're, you know, that confidence goes a long way to the client, right. To understand, well, Sarah knows what she's talking about, right. She stands behind and she uses her confidence. Part of that comes from experience. Part of it comes from trial and error, mistakes we made. Even better is when we've networked with other, for you designers, me, other builders, and maybe that cross, you know, communication and cross networking is valuable as well. I found that for me, uh, not, not just the mistake side, but having network with other builders, like I'm in a builder 20 mastermind group and, you know, where I've had some hiccups on these communication points to talk to them. How would you answer this? How do you address this? And they give you the information. So next time, okay, I have the confidence and I can tell you, going back to the, the simple answer for me is when a client comes to me and says, I don't want a designer, you know, it's easy for me to go back in my Rolodex or job history and just mentally think, well, four years ago, I tried this doing a job without a designer and it was a complete, you know, disaster. <laughs> I mean, it just, yeah. everything was delayed. The project took six months longer than it should have. It cost me a ton of money. And so it's easy for me to now be very confident to say, no, we're not doing that. And here's why. And, you know, so what do you attribute to that, especially not maybe having a history in design for 20 years, but, you know, to have that confidence early on, did you have a network of designers? Did you just have confidence because of your prior career? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all of those things put together, right? So I do tell clients, especially when it comes to furniture and and materials and those sorts of things when they're like, well, is this good quality or not? And we always have a joke in the office, like, no, I'm showing you total garbage. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's not good quality at all. Just hoping you buy it like that. So there, I joke about that, but it's like, we get that question a lot. Like, is this comfortable? Is this the right color? Is this, you know, do, will it look good? No, no, no. We're not going to show you something we don't think will look good. But at the same time, we spend hours and days and months researching talking to other designers, but I travel all over the country, all over the world. I'm going to Spain next week to learn about tile. You know, we do a lot of education on our behalf so that we can tell you confidently, yes, this sofa will be comfortable because I sat in 10,000 
in High Point, and this one I know is comfortable. So we do that for a reason. We are cutting out that work for you. So trust us in that regard. Um, and you know, yes, the confidence is a piece of it. And for me, when, the only time I'm ever really faking it, and I always like go back and Google it just to make sure or like do my research. It's like there are certain things I don't know. Obviously, I'm not a builder. So there are certain things I don't know when it comes to building. And I'll never forget like my very first major remodel project. And I was picking out tile for the shower with the client. And she's like, well, doesn't the shower floor tile need to be smaller for the water to drain? And doesn't need to be a certain size? And the client said that to me. I go, I, yeah, yes. And I <laughs> asked, yeah, totally forgot about that. Let's put away this larger tile. And I was totally BSA because I had, I had never heard that before. And I mean, now I know it to be true. I'll never, ever forget it. But that was super, <laughs> super early on. I thought like, God, I'm a ding dong. I am not ready for this at all. But so there are things like that though. And that's a pretty basic one, but there are things like that where you learn them over time. You can't know it all. And I even tell my design assistants who are fresh out of school, I'm like, we work with thousands of vendors. I do not expect you to know them all in a month. I do feel like I'm still learning about them. You're going to keep learning. You're going to keep evolving. If you're confident in what you're doing and, you know, at the end of the day, I don't always hire people fresh out of design school because I'm not fresh out of design school. It's it, you either have an eye for design or you don't. I can't train that. I can't teach that. So that is sort of where the confidence piece of it comes because I know I have an eye for it. Everything else can be learned. I can learn computer programs. I can learn knowledge about tile. I can learn knowledge about furniture. That does that can all be learned. But it, I cannot just fake a design eye. I can either do it or I can't. Yeah, that's a very good perspective right there. That there's there's no way to fake through that. And and I do love the experience you gave, even going to High Point, right where not only is there an educational process just from you understanding the business aspect, but also functionality, right? I mean, you've been, you spent the time, done the due diligence to check the vendors, to sit on these items, you know, at, at high point. And, and so there's investing in yourself, your team, products that are out there. I mean, that's super valuable to understand so that you can communicate properly as you're specifying this stuff for a client. Totally. Yeah. I mean, how am I going to sell some brand they never heard of and will never hear of again? to them when they're like, well, I can just go to Pottery Barn, get a sofa. I'm like, these are the people who make it for Pottery Barn. Can you yeah. just trust me in this? You know, so but that's, right. that's a tough sell and, and people don't understand that. And um, it, it, so it does go back into the education piece of it. I think a lot of designers don't invest in that continuing education because it costs money, um, but it is highly valuable and absolutely the most important thing that we do outside of the work we do for our clients. So diversifying income is something that, you know, a lot of people may have, you know, not think about, right, with their business. It's one thing to have the fee business and you do have the furniture side, but, you know, what is a band development? Band development is this little brainchild I came up with back in um, October of 2019. I was like, especially in Austin, um, architecture is not great. We're not an old city. I'm probably, it's probably similar in, in Arizona. It's because it's not like a historic, you know, that you see like on either coast. It's a lot of 70s, 80s, like bad architecture. Yes. So there'd be a lot of like just math builders coming in, throwing up stuff. And I just got tired of seeing these flips and these new builds that had no personality and no charm. And it's not that I needed it to be over the top wow, but I needed something with a little bit more personality than just subway tile and, you know, industrial fixtures. So um, I set out, I was going to 
uh, start doing some high-end residential flips and remodels with um, sort of a more design focus. And then COVID hit. So I kind of took a beat and I said, okay, let's, let's hold on this for now. And I was talking to a business friend uh, at the end of 2020 and I was telling him about my idea and he said, I want to do that. And I said, no, no, it's my idea. You can't have it. And he said, no, no, I want to do it with you. And I said, okay, fine. He came from a finance background. And so we launched in 2021 Band Development and we bought our first property to flip it sight unseen. The market was crazy at the time. And when we went to go walk it after we had closed, I very quickly realized it had $70,000 worth of foundation issues and was no longer a flip. And now a custom spec home uh, and tear down. And so we became spec home builders overnight. We engaged with a builder. <laughs> we, be- we engaged with an architect. We built that team very early on. Um, we ended up selling that house before we ever did anything to it because the market was so crazy. So that was not a great litmus test. But since then, um, we now have four properties that we are working on that are both new builds and um, the, that, that original flip model that have a little bit more of a design edge. You know, For example, one of the flips we're working on right now, it's this gorgeous, gorgeous property. Um, but, you know, instead of just throwing up a standard steel and glass door, I, you know, I designed a white oak um, uh, tambour door that's being custom made and shipped over to us. So there's like little special elements that make it a little bit different than just quick flip, get in and get out. And they're higher end too. So it's not like it's just, you know, Betty next door who's painting and flipping it sort of thing. See, and this is what becomes really difficult because, you know, for anyone that's got, you know, that's worked in speculative projects, right. And spec home building, um, unfortunately there are a lot of companies and I'll just speak to like Phoenix or a lot of flippers we'll call them and they're building really poor quality, right? They're looking at just in and out cheap stuff. You can feel it. You can see it when you walk the property and it's just so they can get the biggest ROI where it really takes talent. I, I would imagine from your side too, Sarah said as a designer to spec something that is nice, right? And quality and still work within the parameters of a good investment you know, that's just not, that's not easy lifting. That's not something that's really <laughs> easily done. Yeah, it's definitely not easy. It's definitely a little bit of a song and dance. It's a little bit of like walking a tightrope. And, you know, even when we bought, for example, the door for this project, I mean, it is very, very expensive front door. And I said to my, you know, luckily I have a realtor on board as well. And she gives me a lot of great feedback. And I said, is this door worth this ungodly amount of money? for a seller. And she's like, yes, yes, it is. And there, and I understand that too, in real estate, there's certain things that matter to clients and buyers, and there are certain things that don't matter. And so at the end of the day, it's like, I don't need to spend all my money on a certain, I don't even know a good example, but uh, like, for example, like can lighting, like there is some, but like if it's professionally lit and designed and all this stuff, Sometimes they don't care. So there are, there's a little give and take for sure. But um, so we're working through that. It's, it's, I'm very excited about where it's all going. And I'm very excited to see the end result of this one particular flip we're working on right now. Um, But yeah, it is that song and dance where it's kind of like, Ooh, is this going to be worth it? And there is a lot of poor quality that happens. And that's sort of the whole reason I got into it to begin with. It's if we have to spend an extra month, okay, sorry, we're going to lose, you know, maybe a couple thousand dollars, but what if it means that we could make an additional 50,000 on the sale? You know, like it's a lot of that. Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? So we have those conversations quite often. 
Was it difficult, um, again, not getting too far in the weeds, was it difficult to find a base, whether it be like investors or, you know, that, that communication of the structure of the deal? Uh, because that's always important too, right? I mean, there's, there's aspects to what you're designing. You know, if you were to do it all yourself, there's a lot of capital. You know, yep. how, how has your network played a role just in putting, you know, the spec team together? So it's funny because so I got this partner and he's he's our primary investor and um, we got really excited. And then as soon as we went out to the world with it and announced that we were doing this, I mean, it was as if my phone couldn't stop ringing. <laughs> Everyone wanted information about it. I joked to him because he's more silent than anything else. Like we talk a lot and he gets involved, but not he's like, you do you and I'll do me. Um, but he, I tell him all the time, I go, you know, I go to these trade shows and I go, I talk on podcasts and I go to these places and all anybody wants to know about is the development business. They don't even care that I do design work anymore. <laughs> they just want to know about this development business. So we better not mess this up because people really want to know about this. Um, and our plan is to grow it um, outside of Austin um, kind of nationally. I don't actually want to stay just in the Austin market. Um, what we're trying to do is really lock in those first few and um, get them just right. And then we have, like I said, immediately people were saying, I want to invest, I want to invest. And I think for them, especially in the Austin market, but other markets too, it's a little bit of a no-brainer um, because you've got a designer on board, you've got somebody who understands real estate on board, and it's like, it, you, you, it, there's a lot of trust put into it more so than just like, I just want, I'm, I'm, you know, your next door neighbor just looking to flip houses. There's a there's, there's some history there. And, you know, on top of that, we're getting quite a few brand deals um, with brands that want to work with me and my brand. And so therefore that helps the bottom line too. Yeah. And that I'm glad you brought up that aspect because as you think about just the reality is they're not making more land, right? So yeah. just like you said, they're not, you don't have more, more time. Like, so this is a finite resource that there's value there. Uh, you know, having lived through last recession, you and I did, um, you know, people would say, oh, it's never coming back. And you look, well, it didn't take that long for it to come back. Yeah, it was maybe seven years, but it took some time. But the thing is there, there is value in for tasteful design that there's not a whole lot of. And I, I can relate in Phoenix because there's a lot of homes, I would say even in the 90s and 2000s that weren't great, right? That oh, it just, yeah. yeah, you come and slap them up and then here you are, we're trying to rebuild these in, in nice areas of town. But the vendor side's interesting. You know, what do you attribute to those vendor relationships? Because you know, vendors are looking at putting their product out there. You know, they, they want them on display and there could be a lot of collaboration from social media and, you know, podcasts you've been on naming them or just the spec itself. Cause now, you know, there's a lot of publicity with these projects. Um, how have you built those relationships, you know, over the past six years? Yeah, it's a lot of, um, staying in communication with them. I, you know, I got an email today with, uh, uh, my contact over at Benjamin Moore and just connecting. And so we do a lot of that. And and those people, by the way, are at these trade shows that I'm going to. So it helps to get that face time with them and going to dinners with them. It's just like any other business. And I think people kind of lose sight of that. But and when it comes to the vendor relationships too, especially in Austin, um, you know, and I'm sure this is true in a lot of other markets, there's in each category, there's a vendor that has a foothold. And, um, you know, whether it be a paint company for paint, whether it be a tile company for tile. And so there's a lot of brands out there and they see Austin being a hot market. They want people to experience their products. And the easiest way for them to do it is to give it to us 
to put it in people's homes and to educate us on them and spend the time to educate us so that we can then confidently sell it to our clients. Um, and sometimes that comes via spec or, or remodel where I can put it in there and I don't even have to ask the client if they like it or not. And, and then they can just have it and experience it. And sometimes it is like, hey, no, I actually, I met with this brand. They're great to work with. And here's why you should use them and look at this beautiful product and selling them on it. So it, again, it's sort of a two-way street, but they, they very much want to get tapped into the Austin market quite, quite often. Well, and really what this breaks down to is, you know, not just their desire to be in the market, but I mean, as you mentioned, they're people, right, that are behind the scenes. And so it's not just like a relationship you're DMing on Instagram. I mean, you're actually meeting them, right. get to know them, meeting at trade shows. So, so there's a give and take, right? You're not just asking for stuff. There's actually deliverables that you're giving as well, which makes that relationship work. Yeah, absolutely. And um and I'm all for, I joke about this, but I'm like, I'm a total sellout. So it's fine. <laughs> if you want me to provide imagery for you, I'll do it. You know, like I understand it's a business at the end of the day for them and for us. So um, I want it to make sense for them. I want it to make sense for us. And I'm not going to be, you know, some hard ass about it. That's like, no, like I'm so protective of this vision. It's like, no, if it looks beautiful and I can stand behind what we've put out there, then, you know, sometimes there are, there's some ebb and flow to it that can be negotiated. So best advice you've been given? Best advice I've been given, um, I actually shared this with someone the other day. Back in my old TV um, talent agent days, I had a mentor and his, and I still call him a mentor, even though he would probably hate to hear that now. But um, he said that um, return every phone call, return every email. And it sounds really simple, but it is something I absolutely, uh, I subscribe to. Now, granted, this was back in the day before we got millions of spam messages. So I don't necessarily respond to every email, yeah. but if it is an email to me about something, I respond to everything and I respond to every phone call. And um, I'm, I'm big, big, big on that and big on helping people out in that way. Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, for you being mom, two kids, development company, you know, your two daughters and uh, running the design business. What do you do for fun? Uh, nothing. I have no time. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I'm big on making time for myself and, and making, I, it's very important for me to show my kids that I'm happy and I can take care of myself and, um, and all of those things. So yeah, I, I do actually very much enjoy my kids activities. They're competitive dancers and competitive cheerleaders. So I do like kind of geek out with that stuff, but, um, for myself, I'm big on live events, um, and sports. So I, I go to a lot of concerts. I go to a lot of sporting events. Um, and that's sort of where I find a lot of pleasure and enjoy my time out in the world. That's amazing. So what do you have that's upcoming and exciting? Well, I'm going to Spain next week, so I'm super pumped that's about awesome. that. I've never been to Spain, and I'm really excited to learn about um, the title of Spain, if you will. Um, and I do have a bunch of travel coming up. I'm going to a few conferences that I'm very excited to, to be at. And I just – I'm an extrovert at heart, and I get a lot of um, a lot of uh, energy from being around people. So any chance I can go meet creators and others in my industry and others in other industries, I get a lot of inspiration out of that. So I'm very excited to be out and about in the world. Well, that's exciting, Sarah. I, I will some um, – you know, I'll, I'll probably be not too far – behind you in a few months um we're gonna go to spain for the first time and i've never been either so i'm super excited about it nice but, yeah awesome yeah i'll Europe's give fun. you all my experience yeah <laughs> yeah share me all the good places but uh right. i can't thank you enough i know you have a lot on your plate as you mentioned today and share some amazing insights so where can our listeners find you um 
everywhere. Every social media channel is join the band, extra D on the end, and then website is band design. Well, that's easy. Well, Sarah, I can't thank you enough. Thanks for coming <laughs> on today. Thank you. So fun. If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favorite ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes. Please share those as well. Again, subscribe. Make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support, and we'll see you next time.